اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم لسن نمبر 171 سورة الحج آیہ نمبر 65 to 78 الم ترى do you not see ان اللہ سخر لکم that indeed Allah has subjected to you he has subjected for your sake what ما فی الارض whatever that is in the earth The address is to who? To people, to human beings, to us. That do you not see that indeed Allah has subjected everything in the earth for you? What does it mean by sakhara? Sakhara, yusakhiru tasheer. It gives us two meanings. First of all, it gives a meaning of making something subdued, making something subjected, So that it does not have any free will, it does not have any choice, it is just put to service. So everything in the earth has been put to service for whose sake? For whose benefit? For the benefit of human beings. If you look at it, in the entire planet, there are so many systems, so many laws you can say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set. And all of them are fixed. And amongst all of the creation, who has... free will who has choice it's only us it's only human beings and if you look at it everything in reality what is it benefiting human beings so sakhara meaning he has subjected he has subdued for your benefit and secondly sakhara also gives a meaning of that he has made it serviceable for you that it's under your control that you are able to use everything in the earth You are able to do whatever you wish. For example, if you look at it, animals, from the biggest to the smallest, who has control over them? People. Sometimes you see little children controlling huge camels, a herd of camels sometimes. How is it possible? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given this preference to human beings over the rest of the creation. So, do you not see that everything in the earth has been subjected for your benefit? You are able to use it. Everything is benefiting you. مَا فِي الْأَرْضِ And مَا فِي الْأَرْضِ includes everything. Animals, whether they are of livestock or otherwise. Similarly, it includes the land itself, in the form of fields, in the form of orchards, the plants that grow. Everything is benefiting you. And it's not just that everything in the land is benefiting you, but also the sea. وَالْفُلْكَ And the ships. تَجْرِي It flows. فِي الْبَحْرِ In the sea. بِأَمْرِهِ At his command. And obviously, ships can only float on sea when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has subjected the sea for your benefit as well. Because it's amazing how a ship can float, it does not drown, but if you put a pin on water, it will drown immediately. It will not even float for a second. So who has placed the system? Who has created in this fashion? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So وَالْفُلْكَ تَجْرِي فِي الْبَحْرِ بِأَمْرِهِ And the ships, what do they carry? They carry people as well as their loads. وَيُمْسِكُ And he holds السَّمَاءَ The sky أَن تَقَعَ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ Lest it should fall upon the earth. Taqa'a from the root letters Waqaf'ain Waqa'a literally means to fall down And it also gives a meaning of 
when something occurs, when something happens. So he is the one who is holding the sky up from falling down on the earth. That when you see the sky, when you see the clouds up in the sky, when you see the stars up in the sky, there's some system that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed that despite the fact that anything that you put mid-air, it's going to fall towards the earth, the clouds don't fall. Right? Similarly, the stars, they don't fall onto the earth. The sun does not fall onto the earth. The moon does not fall onto the earth. Despite the fact that there is gravity, still Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed such a system that the ceiling, that the roof that is above us, when we walk beneath it, we feel safe and secure. And taqa'a ala al-ard illa bi-iznihi except by his permission. And when will that be? On the day of judgment. Yawma natwi sama'a On that day, what's going to happen? The sky is going to be rolled up. Inna Allaha, indeed Allah, bin nasi, with all people, whether believers or not. With all people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is la ra'ufun, surely one who is most affectionate and rahimun, most merciful. Ra'uf is from the root letters, ra, hamza, fa, ra'fa. And ra'fa is compassion, affection, kindness. And rahim, rahma, mercy. So Allah is so affectionate, He is so kind and so merciful towards people. This is why He has made all of this for the benefit of human beings. This is why He has subjected the earth and He has also subjected the sea for the benefit of human beings. And it's out of His mercy and compassion that He holds the sky up and does not let it fall down on people. This ayah, what does it indicate? The mercy of Allah. As well as the might and power of Allah. That He is the one who has made everything in the heavens and the earth. And He is the one who has made everything in the earth subservient to who? Human beings. He is the one who has created everything for the benefit of human beings. So that human beings can thrive on the earth. They are the ones who can do whatever they wish on the earth. They have the freedom, they have the choice, they have the ability. Because if you compare the human being with the other creatures, the other creatures either, if they have too much power, if they have the ability, they don't have the brain. Like for example, if a cheetah can run very fast, does he have the brain like that of a human being? No. Yes, the human being cannot run as fast as a cheetah. However, the human being has a brain. Similarly, if you look at it, Ants, they're very smart creatures, extremely smart. However, it's their size that makes them so vulnerable. So compared to all creatures, human being is the one on whom Allah has showed immense favor. Immense favor. Why? Because Allah is Ra'uf and He is Rahim. In Surah Al-Baqarah, Ayah number 29, we learn, هُوَ الَّذِي خَلَقَ لَكُمْ مَا فِي الْأَرْضِ it is He who has created for you all of that which is on the earth. Everything that is on the earth has been created for whose benefit? Human beings. In Surah Al-Jathiyah, ayah number 13, we learn, وَالسَّخَّرَ لَكُمْ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا مِّنْهُ And He has subjected to you whatever is in the heavens and whatever is on the earth, all from Him. So it's not just that whatever is on the earth is subjected for human beings, but it's also whatever is in the heavens, whatever is in the skies. Everything is functioning in order to benefit human beings. 
and he has also subjected the sea he has also subjected the water for the human beings in surah yasin ayah number 41 and 42 we learn wa ayatul lahum anna hamalna dhurriyatahum fil fulkil mashhoon wa khalaqna lahum min mithlihi ma yarkabun and a sign for them is that we carried their forefathers in a laden ship and we created for them from the likes of it that which they ride so from a very early era we see from the time of nuh alayhi salam there have been ships that have been flowing across the seas benefiting who people so that they can travel from one place to the other and finally in this ayah is also mentioned that he is the one who is holding the sky from falling onto the earth we learn in surah saba ayah number 9 afalam yaraw ila ma bayna aydihim wa ma khalfahum min as-sama'i wal ard inna sha'nakhsif bihim al ard aw nusqit alayhim kisafan min as-sama' do they not look at what is before them and what is behind them of the heaven and the earth if we should will we could cause the earth to swallow them or we could let fall upon them fragments from the sky So this could have happened. But who is protecting human beings? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you look at it within the earth, inside the earth, in outer space, there are so many things that are going on. One accident, one thing goes haywire, and that's it. The entire human race will be wiped out. Entire human race. We have seen how the slightest movement within the plates of the earth, just one earthquake, how much of a disaster it can cause. how much disaster so imagine if parts of the sky or what is in the sky would fall down upon the earth would human beings be able to survive not at all so it's out of great mercy of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he has not only provided us with everything but he is also protecting us he is also preserving us In Surah Al-Mu'minun ayah number 17 we learn وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا فَوْقَكُمْ سَبْعَ طَرَائِقَ وَمَا كُنَّا عَنِ الْخَلْقِ غَافِلِينَ And we have created above you seven layered heavens and never have we been of our creation unaware that yes there are seven heavens over there but below there are human beings and we're not unaware of them we're not heedless towards them we are protecting them we are preserving them And in Surah Al-Anbiya ayah 32 we have learned earlier that waj'alna as-samaa saqfan mahfooza The sky has been created as a protected ceiling that it is protected from falling down Just think about it if you ever walk under a ceiling that is about to collapse You know sometimes you're walking through and you see a ceiling tile because it's been raining and there's so much water it's about to fall down How scary it is just standing underneath just walking by from underneath even i remember once it was raining very heavily over here and somewhere in the building there was a ceiling tile which was drenched with water literally and i remember a piece of it had fallen down from the middle and i was terrified i was like if i move from here if i go from here allahu alam what might happen what if this whole tile collapses what if the entire tile comes down so just imagine we walk under the blue sky huge clouds heavy clouds go from above us but still we have this feeling of security that we are safe here yes it's a huge ceiling up above us but we never feel threatened for even a moment that something from above there could fall down upon us destroying us so this is a great mercy of allah 
This is a huge favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon us. So we see that in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that He has made the best arrangements for human beings on this earth. The best arrangements. That He has facilitated everything for us. So that we can do whatever we want. There is security, there is protection, there is provision, there is freedom, there are resources, there is ability. He has given us everything so we can do whatever we want. And what is our duty? What has He obligated us with? That we should thank Him, that we should worship Him. And why should we not worship Him when He has provided us everything that we could ever desire? وَآتَاكُمْ مِنْ كُلِّ مَا سَأَلْتُمُوهُ And He has given you everything that you could ask for. So when His favors are so huge, when His favors are countless, when there are so many, it is our duty that we should be grateful to Him. It is our duty that we should worship Him. Just think about it. If someone has been shown great favors by their parents, like you know how some parents are very caring towards their children. They will pay for their tuition in university. They will buy them a car. They will cover their expenses. They will cover their gas. They will cover everything. And what do they want from children? Just be good towards us. Just smile at us. Don't show me this attitude. Don't show me this anger. And if that child shows anger, if that child does not even come and show his face to the parents, how ungrateful of him. So imagine the favors that parents have done to a child. Yes, there are many. But they are nothing compared to the favors that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has shown towards each and every single one of us. Every single one of us. So it's our obligation that we thank Him. That we use these blessings to please Him. To do that with which He will be happy. Not that we use these blessings day and night only to upset Him. Only to make Him more angry with us. وَهُوَ الَّذِي And He is the one who أَحْيَاكُمْ He gave you life. He is the one who created you. You were nothing. Unknown. You had no existence. No body, no name, nothing whatsoever. But He is the one who created you. ثُمَّ يُمِيتُكُمْ And then He will cause you death. When? After your life has come to an end. And then ثُمَّ يُحِيكُمْ And then again He will give you life. When? On the day of judgment. But despite all of that, the human being, he is like a fool, surely one who is extremely ungrateful. One who is very, very ungrateful. Notice the word is kafur, fa'ul, mubalagha. So kafur is who? One who is constantly ungrateful, repeatedly ungrateful. And as we learned earlier, that khiana towards anyone, is bad. However, khiyana towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is worse. Similarly, ingratitude towards a human being, yes, it's bad. However, ingratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is worse. It's extreme. This is why innal insana la kafur. Why kafur? Because when the favors of Allah are so many, when the favors of Allah are so many, they're countless. Therefore, ingratitude shown to him is also extreme. We learn in Surah Al-Baqarah, ayah number 28, that كَيْفَ تَكْفُرُونَ بِاللَّهِ How can you disbelieve in Allah? وَكُنْتُمْ أَمْوَاتًا فَأَحْيَاكُمْ While you were dead and He gave you life. Just imagine, 
You were dead and He gave you life. So how can you deny Him? How can you be ungrateful to Him? If someone has saved your life, if someone has saved your life in the sense that perhaps a person was in a very huge car accident and the person came right on time, taking them out of the car, what do you say? They saved my life. How thankful are you to that person? How thankful are you? Similarly, if a doctor has done a treatment on a patient and it's been very successful, the patient is ever grateful to the doctor, to that hospital. People will give huge donations to those hospitals. Why? Because they have received so much benefit. So if someone has saved your life, you feel obligated to show gratitude to them. Imagine Allah has created us. He is the one who gave us life. If He did not give us life, we would not be alive. We would not know anything. We would not experience anything. We would not have anything. Allah is the one who gave us life. So how can you deny Him? كَيْفَ تَكْفُرُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَكُنْتُمْ أَمْوَاتًا فَأَحْيَاكُمْ And سُمَّ يُمِيتُكُمْ سُمَّ يُحْيِكُمْ سُمَّ إِلَيْهِ تُرْجَعُونَ So Allah is the one who has given us everything. He is the one who has subjected the heavens and the earth for us. So what is our obligation? That we should show gratitude to Him. We should not be ungrateful to Him. And we should use these things in order to please Him. In order to thank Him. In order to do that with which He will be happy with. لِكُلِّ أُمَّةٍ For every nation. For every ummah. The word ummah, as you know, has several meanings. Sometimes it gives a meaning of nation. Sometimes it gives a meaning of religion. Sometimes it also gives a meaning of leader. Like we learned that, إِنَّ إِبْرَاهِيمَ كَانَ أُمَّةٍ And also ummah gives a meaning of one more meaning. Time period. So four meanings of ummah. Over here, لِكُلِّ أُمَّةٍ Ummah gives a meaning of nation. Meaning for every nation before the nation of Prophet ﷺ, including the Ummah of Muhammad ﷺ. So any Ummah that came, and what is an Ummah? What is a nation? What is a community of a people? How are they connected with one another? What is it that connects them together? It's their religion, how? That they are the followers of a particular messenger, of the same messenger. So for example, Musa salam, His ummah was who? Bani Israel. Why? Because they were the followers of Musa salam. Alright? So similarly, the ummah of Isa salam. So likulli ummatin, for every ummah to whom a prophet, to whom a messenger was sent. Ja'alna, we made, meaning we appointed, mansakan, a ritual, a religious rite, a way of worship, sacred law. What does the word mansak mean? We have done this word earlier many times. It's basically used for a way of worship. It's used for ritual, religious ceremony. And the word is particularly used for those rituals that are pertaining to hajj. And within the rituals of Hajj even, specifically this word is used for the biha, for slaughter, for sacrifice. So, لِكُلِّ أُمَّةٍ جَعَلْنَا مَنْسَكًا Over here, mansak gives a meaning of law. 
sacred law, rituals, ways of worship, and in particular also slaughter. That every nation was obligated to offer sacrifice for who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we see this even in the ummah of Adam alayhi salam. The first ummah. Because his two sons, what did they do? They offered sacrifice for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is said that one of them, he had slaughtered an animal whose sacrifice was accepted and the other one had offered some crop. And that was not accepted. So, لِكُلِّ أُمَّةٍ جَعَلْنَا مَنْ سَكَنْ هُمْ نَاسِكُوهُ They are the ones who performed it. Nasiku is actually nasikuna, plural of the word. Nasik. And nasik is ism fa'il. So who is nasik? One who performs the nusuk. One who performs the ritual. One who observes the act of worship. One who offers sacrifice. So for every nation was a sacred law. Every nation was obligated to offer sacrifice to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And whom nasikuhu? They were to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala according to it. They were to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala according to the mansak that they were taught. What does it show to us? That every nation was taught how to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every nation. And remember that the main religion that was brought by all the messengers was the same. And which one is that? The religion of Islam. Meaning all the messengers taught Tawheed. The aqidah was the same. The belief was the same. However, the practices, they varied. The practices, they varied. So for example, the practices that were given to the ummah of Musa salam are different from the practices that have been given to us. Isn't it so? So whom nasikuhu, they are to perform it, meaning they were to perform the rituals that they were given. They weren't allowed to invent their own ways. Every ummah was commanded as to what they should do, and they were obligated to observe only that. فَلَا يُنَازِعُنَّكَ So let them not contend with you. Let them not dispute with you. amri Concerning the matter. Which matter? The matter of sacred law. The matter of performing rituals. The matter of offering sacrifice. And يُنَازِعُنَّكَ is from the root letters. نُون زَيْعِينَ نَزَعَ What does نَزَعَ literally mean? To pull something. And then مُنَازَعَ is to Pull something to one another. So it's like a tug of war. So munazara is what? Dispute, an argument, a fight. In which both the parties are pulling the haq towards themselves. They're claiming themselves to be truthful. To be the ones on that which is right. So فَلَا يُنَازِعُنَّكَ فِي الْأَمْرُ Now who does they refer to? That they should not argue with you concerning the matter of religion. They refers to the followers of other religions or the people who are still observing their religion brought by previous messengers. So for example, the Yahud, the Nasara, they should not argue with you concerning the matter of religion. And the command is being given to who? To the followers of other religions. However, indirectly this is a command being given to who? To us that we should not dispute with them concerning the matters of religion. What does it mean by this? That don't dispute with them concerning the ways of worship. You see, 
every ummah, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned over here, was given their own way of worship. Now what happens? When you tell people that we believe in Ibrahim alayhi salam, we believe in Adam alayhi salam, we believe in Musa alayhi salam, we believe that the Torah was sent, we believe that the Injil was sent, we believe in all of the prophets of Allah. People may question you, then how come your ways of worship are different? If you claim to be believers of Musa, if you claim to be believers in Isa alayhi salam, then how come your ways of worship are different from the followers of Musa alayhi salam and the followers of Isa alayhi salam? And this objection was also raised at the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi salam, where the Jews, they asked him that if you claim to be believer in Musa alayhi salam, then how come your ways of worship, your practices are slightly different than ours? In some cases, slightly different. In other cases, extremely different. Very, very different. Like for example, if you just compare the dietary laws, the restrictions that we have been given are more lenient compared to the restrictions that were imposed on who? The Jews. Aren't they? So they're different. Similarly, when it comes to the way of worship, praying the salah, it's different. Isn't it so? They do pray. The Jews do pray, the Muslims also pray. However, the method is different. The times are different. The words are different. There is a huge difference. Similarly, when it comes to the Qibla, the Jews, they were following, they were facing the Bayt al-Maqtas. And the Muslims, eventually they faced what? The Kaaba. So these differences are there. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us over here that when this objection is raised, do not argue with them over this matter. Why? Because every ummah was given their own way of worship. The Jews, they were given their own way of worship. And now the ummah of Muhammad wasallam has been given its own way of worship. So these differences are there and they are so because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala kept them. And remember that Allah is the lawmaker. He can give whatever laws to whichever people. It's up to him. He is the lawmaker. So he legislated different laws. And there is a great wisdom behind that. What's that wisdom? That the circumstances at that time were different compared to the circumstances that people are in today. If you look at it, the time before Muhammad wasallam was completely different. And after Muhammad wasallam, the times have changed. The way that people live, that way has changed. Before people were isolated. People were living in their own areas, in their own countries. But after Islam came and the Muslim empire, it spread from Arabia abroad all the way almost to Europe. Spain was also included. So with that, the world became like a global community. So you can see that after the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the circumstances that are on the earth had drastically changed. And before they were completely different. Therefore, there is a huge difference between the commands that were given to previous nations compared to the commands that are given to the nation of Muhammad And there are many other wisdoms as well. So Allah has kept this difference. He is a lawmaker. It's up to Him. And He gave different laws to different nations. And we are not to argue about it. If people do raise this objection that you claim to be believers in all of these prophets, then how come your ways are different? What's the answer? Allah gave different laws to them. He has given different laws to us. 
And then we see that these differences are also a huge test. Alright, for people. That do we get caught up over these differences or do we still focus on the main purpose? You know, for instance, when, when a person becomes serious about the deen, about the religion, many times we make this mistake of focusing too much on the perfect, the most right method of prayer. So we will argue with people about, no, no, you don't do rukur like this, you do it like this, and you don't do sujood like this, and you do like this. And in that argument, you forget to pray even. So this is what we need to see. Are my efforts over these issues, or my efforts are working towards calling people to salah? Am I just concerned about making everybody, you know, a Sunni or a Shiri or a Salafi or this or that? Or, or is my concern that everybody should become more obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is my goal? Am I too caught up in the differences? Or am I focused on the main goal? What is my main goal? Another very important lesson that is given in this ayah is that our main focus in whatever we are doing is to connect people with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Connect people with Allah. Emphasize on the importance of prayer the importance of sincerity, not just the side issues. I was listening to this lecture by Yasser Qadhi once, and um, he was explaining how a non-Muslim friend of his and him, they used to travel to school together. Uh, and one, of the, one day his friend asked him what was the benefit of uh, hijab. And throughout the entire few weeks that they were together, every day uh, Sheikh would give him a new uh, wisdom behind the hijab and the niqab and the covering and why it was actually beneficial. And by the end of the, 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 the few weeks they were together, he had convinced him of the benefit of hijab. But he realized afterwards that, so what if the man approves of hijab, even if, like, but he hasn't actually connected him to Islam and the one who was the one who commanded the, the order of hijab in the first place. Exactly. I mean, if people are convinced about hijab or they're really they really appreciate the fact that Muslims pray five times a day or they really appreciate that the men are responsible to take care of their families okay well and good their opinions can also change right they can change but if they're not convinced that our lives should be dedicated to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be lived in submission to the one who created us if they don't understand this idea if they don't accept this concept then whatever they're convinced of, everything else, it doesn't matter. Because what will take us to Jannah is what? Our belief in Allah. That is what will take people to Jannah, right? Because you find many people who are, you can say, sympathetic towards Islam, in the sense that they have good supposition, or they teach Islam, or they have a lot of knowledge about Islam, and they portray a good image of Islam when they're teaching, but they don't accept Islam. That's not going to get them anywhere. Look at Abu Talib. Perfect example of this. Abu Talib would say that I know that the religion of my nephew is the best religion. He would say that. And he offered the Prophet ﷺ 100% support. It's amazing how much support Abu Talib gave to the Prophet ﷺ. So much so that when Abu Jahl and his people, they came and they said that if you don't hand over Muhammad ﷺ to us, if you don't disown him, then we will disown you. You have nothing to do with us. So this had never happened in Arab history. That an entire tribe, a noble tribe, is considered like an outcast. So nobody would you know, buy and sell. Nobody would you know, socialize with them. Nothing like that. And the Banu Hashim, they had to leave Makkah and live outside of Makkah in Sherb Abi Talib. 
And this boycott was in place for two to three years. And who was with the Prophet ﷺ when Sharab Abi Talib? Abu Talib himself. He offered the Prophet ﷺ full support. But because he did not have Islam here, that support is not going to help him that much. It's not going to get him into Jannah. So our focus should be, وَدْعُوا إِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ Call people to Allah. So that they love Allah, they fear Him, they recognize Him, they long to earn His pleasure, connect people with Allah. This should be our goal. Not connect people with certain personalities or individuals or groups. No. With Allah. وَدْعُوا إِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ And the third main important thing we learn in this ayah is that the Prophet ﷺ, what he brought, what he was upon, that is sirat mustaqim. That is the right way. Because, إِنَّكَ لَعَلَىٰ هُدَمْ مُسْتَقِيمٌ In Surah Yasin, what do we learn? Yasin, وَالْقُرْآنِ الْحَكِيمِ إِنَّكَ لَمِنَ الْمُرْسَلِينَ عَلَىٰ صِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٌ The way of the Prophet ﷺ, that is the right way. And any other way, is that the right way? No, it's not. So if a person wishes to be guided, if a person wishes to be successful, then they must be on the way that the Messenger ﷺ brought. وَإِن جَادَلُوكَ And if they dispute with you, from the word jidal, jadal. What does jadal mean? Jadaltul habal. Habal is rope. And it's basically to twist it. To twist a rope. Have you ever seen a rope? Hmm? Take a good look at it next time you see it. What is it? It's basically strands. Right? Too many strands, a whole bunch of them that are twisted together. Right? So this action of twisting all these strands together, this is called Jadaltul Habal. Alright? And now you see that, you know, all those strands, they're almost like intertwined. And when there's an argument, this is what happens. That one's hand is there and the foot is there and the nose is here. You know, people, they just get tangled up with each other. It's just a big mess. You don't know what starts where and ends where. Right? Like for example, if there's a huge fight between a couple and you try to figure out where did all of this start, you cannot even figure out because it's just a big mess. He said, she said, he did this and she did that. She doesn't respect me and he doesn't love me and I have this incident to prove that he doesn't care for me and I have this incident to prove that she doesn't respect me. You know, like it's just a big mess. So this is jidal. So if they argue with you, if they fight with you, over what? Over the matters of religion, over the differences in religion, meaning despite your efforts to avoid any argument, still, they keep going on and on. Then what should your answer be? What should your response be? فَقُلْ then say, Allahu a'lamu. Allah knows best. بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ Of that which you do. So what are you doing? Allah knows your actions. Allah is aware of your activities. So don't try to convince me that what you're doing is right. That what you're doing is justified. Be concerned of the fact that Allah knows what you're doing. What you're doing, is that acceptable to Allah? Because many times, what we're doing, any action that we're doing, why is it that we become so defensive about it before other people? Why? Because we want to prove to them that what we're doing is right. Right? Like for example, if one person's way of salah is slightly different from the way that the other person prays. Right? All of a sudden, what happens after salam? Sister, this is not according to sunnah. Huh? And the other says, well, this is how my parents taught me. 
And you know what? We just follow the scholars. So whatever I'm doing, this is what I was taught. I'm not making this up. But no, 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 no. This is against the sunnah. There is a hadith in Bukhari that says such and such and such. Alright? And there an argument comes up. Now, what is it that we need to remember? Allah knows what I am doing. And Allah knows what they are doing. This doesn't mean we don't care about what is right and what is wrong. That has its importance. But when it comes to arguing about these matters, check your intention. Why are we arguing? Is it just because I want to prove myself right? And I want to prove the other person wrong? Why are we doing this? Allah knows what we're doing. And Allah knows what others are doing. So our concern should be, what I am doing, is that acceptable to Allah? Or am I doing it just to be more acceptable to people? What's my concern? Allahu a'lamu bima ta'malun. Allah knows what you do. Allahu yahkumu baynakum. Allah will judge between you. Yawm al-qiyamah, on the day of judgment, fima concerning all that which kuntum you were fihi in it takhtalifun, you used to differ. All the differences that you have, Allah will judge between them on the day of judgment. Allah has sent the truth. But even though the truth is clear, some people remain firm on their false ways. So you try to tell them. You try to tell them, they argue with you. When they argue with you, remind them of Allah. And remind them that Allah will judge. Alam ta'alam, do you not know Allaha that indeed Allah Ya'lamu, He knows Ma fis-sama'i wal-ard, whatever that is in the sky and the earth. If Allah knows everything that is in the sky and the earth, every bird and every feather, and every grain of sand and every leaf, Allah knows about that. Does He not know about the differences that you have with people? He knows. إِنَّ ذَلِكَ فِي كِتَابٍ Indeed, that is in the book. What is in the book? Everything. Everything that exists, every word that is said, every action that is done, everything is recorded in the great record. What is this great record? لَوْحْ محفوظ. Remember, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the first thing that He created was the pen. And He told the pen, Uktub, write. The pen said, what should I write? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructed the pen to write everything that was to happen. So what we're doing right now, what we're doing right now, sitting here, looking at something, or reading something, or writing something, or listening to something, or saying something, whatever we're doing, this entire activity that we're involved in, this was also written from before. It's all written. In nadalika fi kitab. Everything is recorded. This doesn't mean that our actions are forced on us. No. This is a choice that we're making. But Allah's knowledge is not limited to the past. Allah also knows about the future. So anything that is to happen in the future also, Allah knows about it. So in nadalika fi kitab. In nadalika alallahi yasir. You might wonder, but then how is that possible? How does Allah know about the future? How could Allah have everything recorded from before? Don't worry. Indeed, that is easy for Allah. Because when you think about Allah, don't think of Him as an ordinary being. He is the Khaliq. The biggest difference between Allah and us is the fact that Allah is the Creator and we are the creation. He is the Creator and we are the creation. There is a huge difference between the two. Huge difference of night and day. We think about it. A pen. A pen is something that man has made. Right? Is there a difference between a pen and the human being? The pen that you're using, is there any difference between the pen and you? What difference is there? You hit the pen, it's not going to cry. Somebody hits you, you're going to scream. 
Right? You throw the pen away, the pen is not going to feel anything. But if somebody throws you away, you're going to feel it all. Right? You put the pen in a pencil case, zip it up, put the pencil case away. If somebody puts you in a bag and zips it up and puts you away, would you feel it? Of course you would. So you see there is a huge difference between us even and the things that we put together. Huge difference. So how can we compare Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to us? How can we think, well, how is this possible for Allah? Don't think like that. إِنَّ ذَلِكَ عَلَى اللَّهِ يَسِيدٌ That is easy for Allah. Nothing is difficult for Him. Whatever He wants, He can do. He knows everything that was, is, and will be. So be assured, whenever there is an argument, whenever there is something hurtful, whenever there is something disturbing, don't worry. Just take reassurance in the fact that Allah knows. And He let it happen. And if He let it happen, there is some wisdom in it. There is some good in it. And I trust Allah's decision. I trust His decree. إِنَّ ذَلِكَ عَلَى اللَّهِ يَسِيرٌ وَيَعْبُدُونَ And they worship. مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ Besides Allah. Allah is the one who is the Creator. Yet people worship besides Allah other beings, other things. Creation that is like them. Or creation that is even weaker than them. They worship it. And when they're worshipping that creation, or when they're worshipping other than Allah, who gave them that permission? Nobody gave them that permission. Allah says, مَا that which لَمْ يُنَزِّلْ He did not send down, bihi for it, meaning for that shirk, sultanan any authority, any evidence. Allah never allowed us that we can, you know, declare others as God and worship them. We don't have that choice. We don't have that freedom. And besides, what proof do we have? That something is a God other than Allah. What's the evidence? There is no evidence for it. وَمَا And that which Laysa is not لَهُمْ for them بِهِ with it عِلْمٌ any knowledge. Meaning this shirk that they're doing, they're doing this without any ilm. This shirk associating partners with Allah, this whole idea is based on ignorance. There's no proof behind it. There's no knowledge behind it. There's no evidence behind it. It's based on pure ignorance. وَمَا لِلظَّالِمِينَ مِن نَصِيرٍ And for the wrongdoers, there will be no helper. وَمَا and not لِلظَّالِمِينَ For the wrongdoers. And who are the wrongdoers here? Who is the zalim? The one who associates partners with Allah. For such a person, there is no nasir. There is no helper. No one will come and help them on the Day of Judgment. So in other words, the person who does shirk, who associates partners with Allah, who worships someone besides Allah, then this person is committing a huge mistake. Why? Because first of all, he's doing something that has no basis. He's doing something that has no proof, that is not founded on knowledge, it's founded on pure ignorance. And this action is going to lead them to greater problems. Because when you ask a weak creation like yourself or something that is even weaker than you to help you, how can you be helped? You cannot be helped. In this world they are disappointed and the greatest disappointment will be on the Day of Judgment. وَمَا لِلظَّالِمِينَ مِن نَصِيرٍ When no one will come to aid, when no one will come to help. 